Hello and welcome to this week's Scottish Independence Podcast. We have an episode of Ian Bruce's climate justice show, Rising Clyde. This week he's interviewing three young activists in Glasgow, talking about the various campaigns they're involved in and how they can join up for maximum effort. Interesting that the one word they didn't mention was the I word, independence, but I think that for young people it's just such a given that they don't even feel the need to discuss it anymore. Hello and welcome. To, I'm Ian Bruce in Glasgow and this is Rising Clyde, the Scottish Climate Justice Show. For the most of the last year, the cost of living crisis and the astronomical rise in people's bills, energy bills, was the big issue facing almost all of us. For trade unions and their members, community groups, a range of movements and campaigns, including much of the climate justice movement, it became the big challenge. So where are we now and what comes next? That's what we're going to talk about today with three people who've been in the thick of it here in Glasgow. So with us to talk about this are Jess Galloway, who's been a prominent, uh, played a prominent part in Power to the People and organizing those demonstrations. Stuart Bretherton is an organizer for Fuel Poverty Action. They've been at the cutting edge of bringing together the cost of living issue with the climate crisis. And Chia Harrington is active in a whole series of campaigns in this area, in particular around problems of indebtedness with uh, Together Against Debt. Thank you so much to all of you for being with us uh, for this discussion. Um, I'd like to start because I think it's quite confusing to some of us exactly. You know, we hear a lot of different versions of energy prices supposedly coming down and so on and so forth. So I think it'd be useful to kind of try and explain simply, but what exactly is happening to energy bills right now and how that's affecting people, particularly those most vulnerable. Stuart, maybe you could give us a little bit of an explanation there. Yeah, well, in some ways we're in roughly the same position as we've been with the energy price guarantee still in place, uh, capping the unit price that we pay for energy um, at a certain level. Uh, so the figure that we've we've heard a lot of is that the average household will be paying £2,500 towards the energy bills. But of course, that's an average figure um, here in Scotland, for example, where we have colder temperatures, a lot more prepayment meters. Um, the average is a lot higher, uh, perhaps around £3,300, £3, something like that. Um, meanwhile, you, you've got other issues with the prepayment uh, meter customers in particular, which there's been a huge scandal around recently. People being forced onto these pay around 10% more for their general energy usage, plus daily standing charges, late fees if you fall into debt, um, higher rates during the winter due to colder temperatures rather than more of a spaced out over the course of the year. And of course, if you can't keep up with this, then everything clicks off. Um, you've also got people in more, less energy efficient homes who'll be paying higher rates uh, and people in all electric homes as well. Uh, we've got members working on this at the minute that if you're purely reliant on electricity, you could be paying up to three times more than the average household uh, in your energy bills. And of course, that's a move that's been encouraged um, because it's, it's supposedly more green. Yet uh, people may have heard recent figures say that um, we now have the most expensive electricity in the world here in the UK. And part of the reason for that is because it's mostly produced by, by gas-fired power stations. So we're still 
uh, at the mercy of global fluctuations in the price of gas. And of course, um, people may have heard the, there's different ways of measuring thing, these things and people will debate it, but the wholesale price of gas is a fraction of what it was um, back in August when, when prices were really going through the roof. Um, we're still expecting uh, prices to rise an extra 20% in April um, as the price guarantee loosens slightly. Um, and then, as, as was mentioned, some news of potential price reductions as we get towards the summer. And that's already been pushed as good news by, by the media and the government as well. But uh, we're expecting it to, to be lowered to something like £2,200 for the average household, which by context let, still... Let, yeah, let me get this straight. That means, that means that we're still talking about bills that are like twice as much yeah. as they were before April last year? Yeah, yeah. And you've got um, government support in terms of uh, individual payments uh, being reduced. So even though the price is lowering slightly, it's people are going to be worse off next winter if that's where it's it's capped than they were this winter. And we can and I'm sure we can expect government support to reduce even further as we go. Um, so in terms of our membership, we've we've had people compromising their health uh, through choosing between heating and eating. We've got people writing into us, expressing suicidal thoughts as a result of this, um, and we're not equipped to deal with that. We're not a support or crisis service. Um, such services are, are over capacity with the state of things. Um, on, on more positive news, we've had we've had um, recently a win over prepayment meters in some ways um, with the recent scandal of you know half a million court warrants granted um, with only seventy two. Um, rejected by magistrates for energy companies to force people onto prepayment meters. There's been pressure building in parliament, in the media. We took direct action last week over a number of days um, and Grant Shapps has now um, called on energy companies to stop forcing people onto prepayment meters. He hasn't introduced an outright ban, which he needs to do, but we've had progress in that area. And we're now also seeing a discussion among Ofgem and ministers about uh, options to overhaul our pricing structure, such as a social tariff, which could significantly reduce people's bills uh, if they're on lower incomes by subsidising it from people who can't afford to pay more. Jess, how, how does that, does that, what Stu's saying, does that tally with what your experience is in the South Side? And, you know, what, what kind of campaigns and organising are you doing there around those issues? Oh, um, well, as I say, so I'm involved in Power to the People and I would be honest, I mean, I think Stu is right in the sense that, I mean, to some extent we are kind of back in the same place that we were. But I mean, I don't want to brush over the fact that it has been such a journey for people, I think. Um, you know, in terms of like last summer, you know, when we had like the demonstrations outside Scottish Power, outside Ofgem, and we were literally having hundreds of people coming. And I remember leafleting in the weeks leading up to those, do you know what I mean? And people, I remember being stood outside Central Station. And for the first time in years, I had people coming up to me, do you know what I mean? And they say, we all... I'm sure all of us have stood outside, you know, in the wind and the rain, giving out leaflets and to no relief. But as I said, it was the first time in years and I had people coming up to me saying, you know, like, oh, you know, I've seen your campaign on social media. I'm definitely right behind you. I'll be at that demo. And there was, I felt like there was a real momentum behind it. But I think what I'm feeling now, and we've been discussing this at meetings over the past few weeks, is we seem to be falling back into that position of people feeling just resigned, I guess, do you know what I mean? Sort of numb to, you know, the conditions in which we find ourselves with all of this. And I think because 
I mean, the big thing for me in why I got involved in Power to People in the first place was because I had seen that so many people just seemed to be dis completely disempowered. Do you know what I mean? There seemed to be no belief in the idea that collective action could bring a change. And so, do you know what I mean? It has been hard to see that now people seem to be falling back into that place. So in terms of the campaigning, um, yeah, so Power to the People, we've got a few local groups that, you know, are sort of doing... Um, like really concentrated ground up work, I would say, um, because again, lead, you know, leading on from what Stu was saying, that we do need to be thinking about the fact that, you know, like all of all of these issues around people struggling to pay their electric and energy bills, it has knock on effects in all parts of people's lives. As you say, you know, people are going to be living with years, do you know what I mean, if not lifelong debt as a result of this. Do you know what I mean? And as you say, it's not going to be getting any better. People's mental health is suffering. Um, and so that's why very much our focus at the moment is on building networks of resistance, do you know what I mean, within communities. So I want to talk Jess, I'm going to cut in there just a moment because I want to come back, no, no, specifically to exactly, you know, what kind of campaigns and so on and so forth need to be done next. But I want you mentioned debt, and that's obviously a key issue. Chia, that's an area you're working in a lot. Just give us an idea of how that feels to people. What, what, what kind of experiences are people having with debt at the moment? Um, well, yeah, so debt has been a problem that's been on the rise for quite a while now. But since, you know, cost of living, that's kind of gone through the roof. Right now, the UK has fallen into a private um, debt crisis, which means that, um, and there's different ways of defining that, but at Debt Justice, the way we define that is that um, a debt crisis is where um, you are so much in debt that you um, basically can't meet um your basic needs because you have to fall into debt to to meet them like eating and heating your home um and yeah that's the reality and um but it's really difficult to get actually to get people to talk about debt there are a few people who are really angry about it and really happy to talk but most people um are really quiet about it because there's so much shame involved because it's seen as such an individualized problem it's not seen as a structural issue and part of um the point of together against debt is to actually like build a collective political voice around that and saying it's not your fault it's the structure right now um and kind of build power around that so how do you do that i mean what what kinds of things are you are you doing to kind of get people to feel more confident about that Right. So um, in July, we had like a public consultation, just invited as many people as we could um, and um, to talk about this. Um, and we voted on a campaign uh, effectively to focus on school meal debt, um, because right now families are in debt to Glasgow City Council to feed their own children at school, which is ridiculous. Um, and um, it, and there's been cases where school meals have been snatched out of young people's hands um because their family hasn't paid the debts it, it's like so wrong um and um yeah sorry i lost my train of thought there um but um and how are we doing this so what we're doing is um we're using a community organizing strategy um to get glasgow city council to cancel the debts um because we believe that we need a fair debt write down which is, means like it's better for everyone if we start writing this debt off because otherwise um people are going to get into dire situations like we're already seeing and um, it has huge economic impact as well um, 
for the wider economy, which also in relation to climate as well, um, handling that crisis. Um, we need a we need a good economy to be able to like handle that as well. Um, What's the response from Glasgow City Council been like? Currently, we're at the stage where we're still building allies, allies to take it to Glasgow City Council. Um, a lot of councillors, some councillors have ignored us, but um, some have said that, you know, we see this as a problem and we're going to take it um, to the council and talk about it. But we're worried because um, we're worried we don't have enough money to do it. Um, I, I think they do. Yeah, that's the kind of conversations we're having at the moment. You touched precisely on the issue of the, the climate, um, climate crisis. Um, Stuart, Stuart, you've been doing a lot of work around this. I mean, it's, at one level, it seems blindingly obvious that the two things are connected, you know, and yet somehow, you know, the campaigns and so on and so forth, they're still sort of a bit separate and, you know, everyone thinks they should be more together, but hasn't really quite happened. Um, just give us an idea of how you're addressing that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that applies in a way to all so social justice movements, a lot of us are talking about the systemic um, issues that we face and intersections between all of them, but we all have our own particular focuses, our own theories of change, um, our own, yeah, our primary concerns, whatever it may be. But I think it's worth saying, um, yeah, Fuel Property Action from its first inception around 12 years ago was um, a climate justice movement that was focused on fuel poverty and the fact that uh, despite burning enough oil and gas to destroy the livable world, uh, most people can't, well, a great many people can't meet their basic energy needs. And you have people freezing to death in their homes uh, every winter um, because they can't afford to put the heating on. Um, and there has been massive progress. Um, speaking to my colleagues, people who have been campaigning on these two uh, dual issues for for over a decade um, the past year has been something quite amazing to them um, because we were quite isolated for a long, long time in taking up those two positions. People who are campaigning on poverty didn't talk to people who are campaigning on climate and vice versa. Uh, and that's totally opened up. As you say, it's, it's blindingly obvious um, the connections between the two. I think uh, disenfra well, disenfranchisement with um, the energy sector, oil and gas companies has never been higher among people, which is something we've we've uh, really pushed for quite hard in the climate justice movement for a number of years um but these these um record profits being announced month on, well every every few months have really done uh, a lot of damage to their their social standing i think so there's we're part of several coalitions um including the one this winter coalition uh which has brought us together with groups like greenpeace friends of the earth and launched the first ever national day of action on fuel poverty which took place in december uh, for which we did nine nine warm-ups um which is a form of protest that we've taken for a long time including one at scottish power hq in glasgow they started on the basis that if we can't keep afford to keep warm in our homes then we feel we have the right to enter any public building or space and keep warm together there a number of new movements that have come through from, I think, Just Stop Oil to Green New Deal rising have been drawing the, the connections between the two. Uh, and we've had support from, from some of them for our demand, which is energy for all, which we feel is quite all encompassing. Uh, it would guarantee everyone's basic energy needs, uh, things like heating your home, keeping the lights on, cooking a meal for free. And everything beyond that would be, be paid for by a higher tariff. Uh, excessive luxury energy use should pay um, should pay higher tariffs 
And on top of that, we would also end fossil fuel subsidies um, to oil, oil, and gas oil and gas companies, as well as effective uh, windfall taxes, which close the current loophole that's in place. So through that, um, we could insulate every home in this country, uh, vastly reduce emissions um, and people's energy bills and create thousands of skilled jobs. So we've got a lot of climate justice movements on board with that, um, and we will be launching a manifesto in the coming weeks, which everyone from climate justice movements to uh, trade unions to local authorities uh, would be able to sign on to. Um, so that's something we're, we're very keen to push out, and we feel it draws the two together perfectly, in our view. Power to the People, Jess, was sort of set up, I think, you know, one of its main aims was to kind of build in working class communities, you know, a, a kind of organization around these issues and, again, a, a, you know, resistance. It didn't, although people, I, I mean, I remember going to some of those early meetings myself and, you know, the, the issue of climate was around. People mentioned mm -hmm. it, but it wasn't central, you know, uh, and, it, and most of the people in it didn't come from the climate justice movement. A few did, you know. So I'm just wondering how, how that connection looks from, from where you are now. No, I think that's a fair assessment, Ian. Um, the crux of it for me, my, sorry, I'm still just smiling away at this idea that Stu's just put forward. That's amazing. That's like the utopia, isn't that's the dream. Sorry, I'm still just quite happy about that. Um, but yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, the crux of it for me, I think, in terms of like the organising I've done and I mean, the people I have spoken to as a result of, you know, being involved in Power to the People, is I think we need to be realistic about the fact that, you know, as both Stu and Chi have said, we're at a point where people can't afford to eat, they can't, do you know I mean, as you say, we've heard terrible stories, you know, of people using camping stoves indoors, you know, putting their lives at risk because they can't afford to do you know I mean use the electric and gas in the house and I think we need to be realistic about do you know I mean when people are in that dire situation do you know I mean when you're struggling that much I don't want this to sound flippant but do you know I mean you can't you can't expect people to be worrying about these issues that kind of seem so far away and I understand do you know I mean part of the issue we have is that you know part of it's to do with the narratives around that and we need to be changing those narratives to say this is a problem that affects you but my strategy do you know I mean my solution to that would be bring them in the door do you know what I mean along with campaigns and issues that matter to them so that's how in my head I don't mean that um, I see power to the people kind of as an instrumental vessel. I don't mean that at all. But do you know what I mean? In my head, I, rem I always remember seeing in one of the trains I did years and years ago, and it was this kind of diagram, you know, of sort of a little gauge that goes round. And you go, you know, from people who are completely, completely against you to like the most active of activists, you know. And in my head, it's you've just got to bring people one little step along the way towards where you want to be and if do you mean as you say if our goal is to get people to the point where they care about overthrowing capitalism they care about overthrowing the patriarchy they care about you know wanting climate justice that's absolutely amazing but we need to get them a foot in the door first and I think do you mean for me that's where that deep organizing and those real community networks are going to have to come in. I may be barking up the tr wrong tree here Chia but I'm just wondering whether debt could be a way of getting your foot in the door there, as, as, as Jess put it. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, you just explained the kind of debt issues that people are facing with their as a result of energy bills and so on and so forth. But debt is also now a big, big issue in the climate movement. Obviously, there are different kinds of debt. I'm just, 
maybe maybe they are too different i don't know but what do you think is there a connection there that can be made yeah there is a connection definitely so um like debt justice um we have three main campaigns um one of them is together against debt that's where i work which is about household debt um but like the other thing we concentrate is climate debt so, so that's like international so mostly um debt so like countries like pakistan right that they have just had so many people die because of the flooding caused by climate change and they are in debt to the countries that are most responsible for causing climate change which makes is just totally unjust um so we we, we campaign to um write off those debts um and so yeah it's interesting the connection there because even within debt justice even though we're the same organization right now these campaigns are very separate from each other however we did have a national um, activist gathering in October where we connected the two issues. We had people from Together Against Debt there. We also had um, notable climate activists like um, uh, Michael Loach uh, coming to speak um, with uh, the group about debt and um, uh, other people in, as a part of decolonizing economics um, speaking at that, uh, where, where the, the two things were kind of interlinking. I mean, if I was to vision how these two things could um, interlink, um i think it would be a matter of once we've kind of created a debt uh, movement effectively um against unjust debt um it would be about connecting with the um climate groups because because it's all interlinked that are focusing on debt too so you as well as having debt justice there's also a group called debt for climate which is a global movement doing direct action around um climate based debt um and we work with them too um and um, but also like on the low it's not it's not just the global level it's the local level because um you know in glasgow if if more flooding is going to happen in certain communities like govern um that people might be displaced from their own communities or, or be in debt because of environmental damage that happens to their homes right so um it's interlinked and it's just I think it's about holding spaces to have these conversations which I was really lucky that um, Glasgow Greenpeace approached me not too long ago um, and so in the Go Green Week we kind of collaborated to kind of connect both these topic topics in an event we did uh, called End the Crisis. Um, one of the other kinds of links that we haven't mentioned yet but is obviously people have been talking a lot about obviously the wave of strikes in the public sector over the last few months, both in Scotland and in elsewhere in the UK, have been unprecedented in most of our, well, for a very long time, let's put it that way, um, you know, going right back to the 1980s or something, you know. And obviously that's about the cost of living, essentially, you know, yeah. So, and yet again, we're, there's a, it's a slightly different area of activity and, you know, everyone wants to support each other. I'm just wondering what has been done, what can be done, what needs to be done, what can be done in terms of bringing those things together. Just to note how we're linking kind of debt with the unions at the moment. So Unite for Workers' Economy is quite interesting, similar to Powers of the People and a lot of other groups are kind of doing a lot of work in communities at the moment. And um, so what we're kind of doing is, and, and what they're doing is um, campaigns about um, food justice and because that links to our school meal that um, campaign that's how we've linked um, and I think no matter what your issue is there are links um, and, and if you go, I think the biggest thing about uniting 
with unions is that we need people to get to their their union meetings really and, and see where they can like kind of create bridges there because I mean what I'm really impressed with at the moment is that I mean th this was like really hard to push in the climate movement not too long ago before enough is enough was a thing uh, was See, was getting climate activists to go to pickets and we're beginning to see this now and it's great but how many of those activists are actually kind of joining unions I i'm not so sure because i'm not sure what the education about like um joining those spaces is and like maybe we should be pushing that more in the green movement um and uh, that's why i think i think a lot of us I'd say that people like my age, uh, so I'm 23, um, a lot of us started our political journey from doing stuff like school strikes, um, but we might have not had a full-on um, political education in other areas apart from kind of activism. I think there needs to be a, a greater political education amongst young people about um, you know, trade unionism um, and also like workers' struggle and a lot more like that. Interesting. Jess, what what what? what do you think in that area with the linking up with the strikes and stuff? There's some some work yeah. kind of going on in Southside on that too. Yes, there is. Is this where I get to punt my meeting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. So we're having um, sort of like a meeting for groups, and we're trying to keep it as open as possible. I mean. Hello, my hands up. That is what I've loved about Power to the People. Is just kind of it seems to have made such a conscious effort to overcome the parochialism and factionalism that we so often see in left campaigns. And do you know I mean, just like, I think we need to, at this point, be open to working with all kinds of groups, you know, as you say, obviously, Southside Strike Solidarity, um, you know, like the LGBT bookshop, do you know I mean, every, as you say, as Chia quite rightly points out, all of our issues are so interlinked and you are completely on the money when you said that about you know I think people just lack political education and I think you are you're right in the sense that because one of our main things moving forward I think is very much about as you say building these networks and using those to to help people demystify like so in our case obviously demystifying the energy industry you know sort of saying to people or a lot of this stuff that's coming at you in the media isn't the truth but also as you say I don't know I kind of feel like again coming back to my little thing when people's eyes get opened about one thing I feel like if people are sort of inspired then they start to realize oh goodness you know actually this information is fallible and that information is fallible and again I would completely agree with what you said like, I was not brought up in a political family at all and I didn't really have much of a sense about trade unions and so that's why I think because they say it links back to what I said at the very start about you know the reason I got involved in Paris for the people was because I think pe the people I spoke to when I was outdoor chapping um you know just very seen very much were coming out with things like oh you know you speak to anyone in this street and they'll be angry about all this with the energy prices but there's nothing we can do you know I think genuinely we seem to have you know and we don't need to go into you know the discussion about Thatcherism and as to why why people don't have a sense that you know collective action doesn't work but I think with people being able to see you know, successes in the trade union movement, it will hopefully make them realise, oh, we can actually win things elsewhere. And, you know, vice versa. As you say, obviously, you know, the successes up in the Wyndford and stuff like that. You know, any pockets of working class solidarity that wins a victory, we need to be celebrating across the board, you know, and as you say, just working together and 
you know, as I say, I don't want to sound too much like I'm preaching, but do you know I mean we need to just do a bit of a better job of working together, don't we? I think sometimes we can all get a bit too, you know, this is my little campaign over here, and we just need to be coming together because, as you say, this is what the, um, you know, ruling classes want, don't they? They want us to be divided, and that's not how we're going to win. Great. Thanks, Jess. Uh, we're, we're beginning to run out of time. So, Stu, can I, maybe I can just do come in on that if you want to, but I'm, like to look just like a little idea of what where do we go from here you know it's a kind of short contribution round from each of you about what do you think the priorities should be in the next few weeks and months if i could come in that and really try and try and tie up almost the last three questions like um i think where we can do better as the climate justice movement and also from our perspective in, in fuel poverty action uh, in relation to the strikes um, is in building and communicating the narrative. I mean, that's what the trade union leaders in particular have done amazingly in the past few months. They've won the argument by by spitting straight facts, basically. And um, yeah, I think among the climate movement, you know, um, there's been a, a big shift in the past few years, but not fast enough. And for me, I want to hear less of um, communication around the science necessarily and sort of terror that that it does exist over over what is to come and that I don't dispute but more communicating how this affects people in their day-to-day -day lives kind of as, as Jess said you know connecting the end of the world to the end of the month and and people meeting, meeting their bills and the fact that you know climate justice should mean warmer homes lower bills accessible public transport um, investment in our public services. So we need to uh, connect with people on how, how this affects them in their day-to-day -day lives. Also on this um, issue of, of the strikes, you know, um, we can, there's direct comparisons to make with, for example, the health workers struggle at the moment um, in the context of fuel poverty rocking up and people sacrificing their health due to living in, in cold homes. At the same time, you know, um, We've been very focused on this prepayment meter issue and have forced the government to act. Yet Grant Shapps is refusing to bring in legislation to ban them outright. Yet he's at the moment forcing through legislation uh, to prevent workers from striking. So wh why are they so anti-interventionist when it comes to the energy company? Um, and finally, just uh, in a broader perspective, you know, as we're calling for energy for all so that people's basic energy needs can be met, and um, striking workers uh, are, are only demanding that they, they don't have jobs, pay and conditions cuts. So I, I'm continuously kind of communicating that these demands, none of them are that radical. We've been on the back foot for so long, uh, as you say, you know, going back to Thatcherism, that we're, we're told that this can't be addressed at either end, whether it's our bills coming down or pay coming up, we're being told we'll be given nothing. So we need to be bold in our demands. We need to be uncompromising, I think, in uh, calling out this system and challenging it that is continuously moving wealth from the bottom to the top. Um, so, yeah, I don't think we should be at all compromising uh, in the demands we're putting forward at the minute. As Jess said, uh, ours might sound utop like utopia, so let's do it. Sounds brilliant. Tia, a last quick word on what you would like to see next? Whenever I envision the kind of things that I think are needed right now, I always come back to, like, the three main areas i think mutual aid education and training and mobilization into campaigns and community organizing i think are the three main things we need to be focusing on right now because i think that's the way we're going to like I, I know jess was kind of referring to the spectrum of allies before bring everyone forward no matter what kind of point on that spectrum they are 
and, and also that share our stories of what wins we've made share the training like we have people who are involved in poll tax and like one we had people who who did great stuff for the anti-nuclear environmentalism more like let's just get all those people in a room see what worked and share that with others um, and work from there yes final word Nope, I think all mine have been taken. As you say, all I was going to say is just please go out. You know, I would just urge people, please go out and talk to everyone you know. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes it can be the smallest earworm you put into someone that can change the world, can't it? You know, so keep at it, everyone. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. We have run out of time, but that's uh, that's a really, really interesting discussion. And at least for me, a, a really encouraging one, too. So um, thank you very much. And uh, this is the end of this episode of Rising Clive. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to see the video version of that programme, you can see it on Independence Live's YouTube channel. We'll be back again next week when we'll be looking at the topic of ferries and we'll be joined with some guests from Yes Orkney and also Professor Alf Baird. So join us then. And you can catch up with any episodes that you've missed on our website, which is scottishindiepod.scot. Catch you later. Bye now.